Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Welcome, everyone, to our reread of Eddard 2 and of Game of Thrones. I'm Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. And tonight, I'm joined by Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho. You can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. And Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast. And Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. Um, okay, so that's our panel, and uh, usual trigger warning for rape and violence, um, and also we spoil everything, um, books, and if you still care about the show, we probably might spoil that too, so. Okay, so actually this is like, as a chapter goes, it's pretty talky, and essentially Ned goes riding with Robert and they talk about some stuff. Um, <laughs> that's that's really it. I mean, yeah. not, not a lot of drama, but um, uh, basically, we we it open. Um, Ned is um, waking up to find out Robert has an outing plan, so they can talk away from the people on um, this giant caravan, basically. And um, Robert is pretty, pretty done with the whole wheelhouse business. It sounds like that's quite the uh, ordeal. Um, and honestly, I, I really don't think I can blame him there. Uh, <laughs> sounds like a mess. I can just picture like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> and how much well, worse it always is on the way back from a trip as opposed oh, to the start. Yeah. Well, nightmare. They reference like um, the axles breaking on that wheelhouse, which is like this two-story thing with apparently no wind. I mean, it just sounds like this is just ill-advised. Um, <laughs> I think they're hippie. They're hippie VW <laughs> bus. Going- <laughs> oh god! And it's not like the roads are paved. It's all mud. You know, imagine when it rains, just the heaviness of that yeah. sinking into the mud. What a mess. Um, <laughs> good times. Uh. Ned, or Robert is very um, nostalgic for what he thinks of as the glory days, and uh, there's part of him that wants to take off and abandon all his responsibilities so they can, I don't know, travel the countryside and hang out. And Ned kind of points out, you know, hey, we, we've both got, you know, duties and families and stuff. And Robert, I think, is a little annoyed that Ned is raining on his. Uh, parade there and then um, recalls well, Robert has that great line like you know you were never that young boy Ned like yeah. <laughs> like Ned was never you know Ned was born you know oddly yeah. enough for being like the middle child he was he was born with like the weight of the world on his shoulders it's funny because you know the other middle child Stannis and Robert just don't get along at all yeah um Robert recalls Ned's one indiscretion, um, although not her name. That's kind of. And then uh, Ned says it was Willa or Wyla. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to be saying that. But he really doesn't want to talk about it. 
and eventually to shut Robert up, um, invokes the gods and Catelyn as reasons not to discuss. Um, I was, I don't know if anyone here has seen the movie Beckett ever. Mm -mm. This whole scene reminded me of, uh, there's a, I was reading, I haven't seen Beckett in years, but there, it's a movie about um, the relationship between Henry II and um, Thomas Beckett. And uh, it's like the movie was uh, Peter O'Toole as Henry II and Richard Burton as Beckett. And um, it was a big movie back in the day. And I'm pretty sure Martin would have seen it. And also I was um, in the movie, like Henry II is Robert, essentially, except not as corpulent and with the eventually better marriage. But um, Mm -hmm. and not not, that's not saying much, but he was like. (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, my coffee table and a mug have a better marriage than Robert and Cersei. <laughs> so wasn't Richard Burton, oddly enough, um, Henry II in The Lion in Winter? Correct. No, that's Peter O'Toole. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but it was like, I was looking, and um, Martin references um, a bunch of, things that influenced him. And he mentions this author named Sharon K. Penman. And I know she wrote about Beckett. So I don't know. Okay. Sorry. That's just me talking about movies because no one here has seen it, but, <laughs> no. but it's just like, it's, is it the interplay between like the, you know, imp- the man child and the, yeah. And like Beckett, who I think was eventually canonized as saint, but like in later years, but Beckett is the guy who's like, at first he's sort of facilitating the King's, you know, uh, debauches adventures, but at, at a certain point he starts maturing and he wants, you know, he's trying to get the King to do certain things and the King gets upset with him. And there's this split between the two. Um, and it's just Ned, Ned quite, isn't quite as free and easy as Beckett in the movie. But I mean that, that idea, like you've got this friendship, but you also have, like this sort of push and pull about duty and the one guy understands this and the other guy doesn't. And that's what reminded me of it. This chat, I mean, well, I'll let you get into it more. No. um, Like I said, there's not a lot going on plot wise. Um, The whole reason they're out there other than Robert wanting to relive his, his salad days is they got a message from Varys in the night and he reveals that Jorah has been working for them and um, that Daenerys has been married to a Dothraki horse lord. And there's a lot in here about, like, we learned some stuff about Jorah, like Ned, you know, wh- how Jorah ended up in Essos was because Jorah basically sold poachers to a slaver, which you don't do in Westeros, let alone in the north. And then took off and like, you know, before Ned could get there. Um, and there's a lot. Robert's vicious, vicious hatred for Targaryens, any Targaryens, whether they're infants or little girls. He doesn't care. He sees them as a dragon spawn. Well, it's such an interesting conversation because I think, you know, when we're reading this and even you know, through a long portion of the series, like we're conditioned to feel like, oh, Robert's an idiot and Ned, you know, Ned is right. And, you know, gee, 
who's in the scheme of things, who's yeah. the idiot now? You know, I was kind of thinking Robert, in hindsight, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Robert's completely right about <laughs> the kind of threat that, you know, that Danny is. And not just going off the stupid show plot, but I mean, mm. you know, her her stated goal is to use the Stothraki, you know, eventually to use this army and and go to Westeros. Like, you know, he's completely right about the level of threat that she that she is like he has no idea like what else she's going to be but he's not wrong that this and, is you know a huge issue yeah Ned is is just kind of shockingly dismissive of that i mean that, that's a huge army I mean, he's just like oh they're never going to get shipped yeah i just thought that's kind of yeah i agree <laughs> well i mean let's say like let's say that they didn't try you know, because later on they're going to send an assassin to try to kill Danny. Let's say that didn't happen. You know, does Drogo ever get enough impetus to go mm. to Westeros? Because it I mean, kind of reads like he never really wanted to do that. But it doesn't matter because he's still like, whether or not they send an assassin, he still dies. Wait, no, I guess I'm like, I'm pointing. Like, I don't disagree. I, in fact, in my notes, I put Robert is not wrong here. So mm-hmm. I'm totally on board with you. I, I guess it's like what comes across here very. Well, Robert's geniality, scenario, the right. hatred, like Ned is recalling how Rhaenys and um, yeah. little Aegon are killed. And I mean, again, not wrong in that like Tywin, you know, not wrong in a political sense, they are threats, but I mean, Robert is totally dismissive of how that's accomplished. Like he doesn't care. He wouldn't have care. I mean, to him, you know, a baby being bashed up against the wall doesn't matter. He's dragon spawn. That's where I think Robert is wrong. Well, I don't think any of us are going to argue. Well, no, I I wasn't waiting for you to all swing in. I, it's it's I think as a chapter it's there's a lot in here that seems to be here for exposition yeah. and there's yeah. a lot in here to set and up character. Yeah, and it's so you know again we're this is one of those chapters where we're sort of fighting against the early outline a little bit too because you know we get a little bit of exposition about Jamie here and you know the thing you know Ned is extremely suspicious of Jamie and Robert's like you know hey someone had to kill Ares. And, you know, Jamie's done everything I asked of him and he's been completely loyal. And, you know, from, you know, we, we know, yes, indeed, someone did have to kill Ares and that's exactly how, you know, how Jamie felt. And, you know, his disloyalty to Robert isn't based upon him being a Lannister or, or want of power or like anything like that. It's because, you know, he is in an incestuous relationship with his sister, like, Something Robert weirdly has no idea about, but like all of the reasons that Ned is giving are mm. have are totally wrong about Jamie. And I think when you think about this original outline, when Jamie was going to seize the throne and mm. um, you know do all of this, like that's what Cer- you know Cersei is the one who ultimately is like the threat against Robert. Like she's the one who kills him. She's the one who you know wants. She's the one who wants power. Like, she's actually the threat. And this is one of those ones where you can see, like, at least part of this chapter, the conception of this chapter was written before Cersei and Jamie were different people. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think this chapter, it also sets up the inevitability of the, the split between Robert and Ned. Yeah. Because as, as much as they care for each other, 
and, you know, had good times together. They are very different people now. And we're learning that. I mean, this whole business with the Warden of the East, which is another huge chunk of this chapter, like, I don't, again, I wrote several times in here, I don't think he's wrong. Like, he doesn't want to name um, Sweet Robin, and I don't think he's wrong. I think that's a spectacularly bad idea. But, I mean... I mean, like, you know, he has two other brothers that he could have gone with. And it's more like he's making these decisions because he doesn't want to deal with the headache that he's going to get from Cersei and Tywin if he doesn't go along with their plan. It's not that Jamie wouldn't be capable. It's not. I mean, he's his decisions are there's occasionally a political thought going on there. But a lot of this is coming out of pure rage and emotion. And whereas Ned doesn't want to look sometimes at, like, the reality of the situation, I think, you know, it's easier to like Ned because he's, you know. I just wish for Robert he would have just wrote off and, like, we'd get, like, the side story of, you know, <laughs> the war hammer of Westeros, like, wrecking havoc against, you know. And I, I've read something that, you know, for Robert, like, it's such a, like, and I think I've talked about maybe I may might have talked about this before with Robert, but it's just like his life is such a tragedy in a way because, you know, the war that Robert Baratheon was born to fight is against the others. You know, it's a, a war with like no politics, no intrigue, just like, you know, Hulk smash. Like that's what Robert would have, you know, been awesome at. And he, you know, isn't, doesn't do that. And then you think of like, you know, his children and what, what, you know, what someone like Robert would have hoped for with his children. And, you know, he has these kids he doesn't really have anything to do about, but like then is that aren't his and then his biological children that we meet, you know, the most like Gendry. I mean, how much would Robert have loved Gendry? Like Gendry is literally everything Robert would have loved in a son. Mm. And, you know, Maya Stone, who we meet is, you know, really physical and brave, but has like this really loving heart too. like, they are the children that, you know, he would have been so happy with. And he just was so close to having a life that he would have really, you know, enjoyed and loved and flourished in and just, you know, could never, could never get past what he didn't have when he was like 22, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he was just never meant to be king. Right. Right. And it's like, you know, I'm going to go to like Harry and Meghan, but you know, it's like <laughs> if you would have, you know, if you would have had a choice for, you know, if he really would have thought about it and really would have thought like, do I want this life? You know, yeah. he would have said no. And you know, yeah, it is, it's, a tra- it's a tragic, it's a tragedy. He's, he's a lazy thinker. Like he, he can do it. I mean, like, like, what are you yeah, saying? Not, like, oh. some of his rationale here, again, you're you're right. He's not wrong about some of his rationale. But it's like, he does that when he's forced to. He doesn't, you know, Robert, actively, proactively. Robert wanted to be the Lord of, Thor- of Storm's End, and, you know, mm-hmm. having a steward that did most of the work. But riding out into the country and, you know, hanging out with his people. Like, that's, you know, going on hunts, like. Well, that's, that's what really he's what got wanted. in mind with Ned, except on a bigger scale. Yeah, you know? but there's, I think there's, you know, there's less political responsibility likely as the. Right. And he's the kind of guy who if he had, let's say, you know, Eris had not gone crazy or someone else had become king. I mean, he could have been the kind of guy who occasionally got to go out and do his war stuff, yeah. but wouldn't have to be sitting there making the deals and, you know. 
Yep, and like all the Baratheons before him, you know, like right. just yeah, and bust <laughs> shit up when he be. And if he'd had a wife that wasn't, you know, uh, Cersei, he could have had like, you know, he always would have slept around, but he probably could have had a more normal, you know, for like, like Marjorie like, actually would have yeah. been a great wife. <laughs> yeah, him, like wouldn't have cared if he had bastards and <laughs> i mean probably was, yeah. would have cared but you know like well wouldn't have tried to kill them yeah <laughs> yeah there, there was a fantastic <laughs> fanfic that put they the person did up two like two stories though one story that i really really loved had cersei married to ned and the other one had robert married to catelyn hmm. and it was kind of fascinating because ironically the uh robert or the Ned Cersei one worked kind of okay, but you know, the Robert Catlin marriage was just like utter disaster. Yeah, that would be yeah. utter disaster. He didn't need like a happy go lucky wife who was just happy to be like, there are rich wives like that. Like they don't care if their husband sleeps. Like a lady like, who loves, like, yeah, like yes. the ladies who lunch, like that's yeah. what he, <laughs> yeah, you know, she's okay. Kind of what keep the it housewives quiet. of, uh, yeah. of, uh, <laughs> king's landing or whatever like yeah bring her you know bring her something and she, you know bring her like a you know dead animal and she'll be like all like happy about yeah. it and, you know? <laughs> a diamond tennis bracelet out of it it's fine and i mean you know like someone who'd like to have some fun like a party or i feel like you know they and even if she like i could see him do you think he'd be okay i could see him being okay if he had a wife who wanted to like i don't know would he be jealous mm. of a wife who slept around you think yeah he yes. you think he would I think yeah. he's the kind of guy who expects yep. don't do as I do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> but you know, even um, a wife do, that let him. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, do we think he could have functioned as king if Cersei isn't his wife? If hmm. everything's not going on behind his back to uh, essentially set him up to fail and be killed? Like, if any other wife than Cersei, like, could he have functioned as king? I mean, he level. functioned as king. Well, he does function. Like year, well, functioned well, power. I think is what we're asking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think he functioned because he had, you know, John Aaron and he had Varys and he had, you know, not that Varys wasn't working against him, but I mean, I'll blame Cersei for a lot, but it's like, you know, Robert is, he Robert need, has to own his own shit yeah, in that area. He some balance and maybe another strong family, but not He would have been happier, <laughs> maybe. I mean, he'd be happier, but I don't know if he'd be a better king if he were happier. It needs, it would, I mean, and there are historically relationships like this. It would need somebody who was more, who was politically savvy, but who didn't have it out for him and was ready to stab it, you know, throw a knife in his back at the first or whatever communion opportunity. Who didn't actively hate him. I think actually it would need, for it to, to him to function well as king, you need... You, it's not just that he has somebody like, say, John Aaron, you know, making the day to day stuff. You need somebody in place who can maneuver him as need be, because I think he would I don't think he would be down with a wife who was like, let's put it this way, actively working. Hmm, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I see him as a tra- traditionalist, so it would have to be some woman. Yeah. I mean, the Marjorie really- and Ariane, like these type of, you know, these but- type of women that are it, using like a traditional feminine role yeah, to, but to express their power. It had to have happened earlier on. Like, yeah. you know, Marjorie could have only, just like she could only right. do so much with Joffrey, Marjorie could have only done, you know, do so much with him at that state. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, it's like, he, yeah, he needed a woman who would, 
who would basically like guide him through without letting him know that she was basically making all the decisions. And Cersei is not really capable of that level of subterfuge. Like that's just not, you know, that's not anything that's part of her DNA at all. And she's like someone like Joanna, frankly, sounds like someone that would have also been someone that would have worked well with Robert from what we know of her, you know, like that kind of, um, you know, that kind of woman in a traditional role, but clearly, like, wielding power. Even, like, a Jenna. I mean, frankly, yeah. like... Oh, yeah. You know? I see that. Yeah, I feel like Jenna and Robert actually probably could have yeah, a really I know. good time I see that. They probably would have gotten along really well. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. I think she's probably, well, technically too old for him, but yeah. Well, I think she might be younger than him, though, isn't she? Because, I mean, she's got well, kids. Well, he and that... Robert are not contemporaries. Or he and Tywin right. are not contemporaries. Right. But Tywin's got a- kids that are like, you know, like her youngest is like not even a squire yet, I don't think. So, I mean, her kids are pretty young. And she's the second youngest, I think, of the of the Lannisters. Like, so she's too much older. She, yeah, I mean, I guess she'd be a little bit older maybe. But, you know, I feel like, again. She was again, born in 245. 245. Oh, really? Okay. Robert yeah. was what? When was he? This pauses while we're all looking at <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we all do, He's, trying to figure. Oh, what is, wait, what is his birth? 280s, 262. Uh, oh, she's quite a bit older uh, then. There's so, I, I did not realize that Jorah had, like, gone to Essos so recently. They said five years. I thought he'd been there a lot longer. Yeah, well, he's me too. traveled a lot during that. I mean, like he was real busy from you know mm-hmm. just and you know he learned Dothraki in five years, which is pretty solid work by him. Yeah, because he wouldn't. Have, it's not like that would have come up in you know, um, at home. So yeah, so I mean, he must have an aptitude for languages. Yeah, it's not stupid. Well, I, I have problems with Jorah, but you know, <laughs> his linguistic abilities are not one of them. Yeah, no, he good job by him. Um, let's see what else happens. So they basically they talk. We kind of they talk about Warden of the East. Um, Ned's reasoning for not wanting Jamie is his experience with what happened in the throne, the throne room. Um, um, I really, that's pretty much the chapter, but I wanted, and I'm sure you may all have other thoughts to share, but like this one passage I really loved. It's at the very end and um, they're splitting up and um, are going back, I should say. And um, it goes for a moment. Ned did not follow. He had run out of words, and he was filled with a vast sense of helplessness. Not for the first time, he wondered what he was doing here and why he had come. He was no John Aaron to curb the wildness of his king and teach him wisdom. Robert would do what he pleased, as he always had, and nothing Ned could do or change would change that. He belonged in Winterfell. He belonged with Catelyn in her grief and with Bran. A man could not always be where he belonged, though. I mean, that's kind of Ned in a nutshell, isn't it? it's so depressing especially Mm -hmm. given what we have in the world i'm like it's like i see him as like general kelly almost you know the less sociopathic leader yeah i feel like ned probably doesn't you know sit on the board of companies that are um profiting by imprisoning children but you know (laughs) i know it's just sort of this idea of like you've taken this job you really didn't want to take it you it's not he's not gonna be able to make this work (laughs) There's a sort of fatalism to it. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's like, it's funny. I mean, you know, Ned is saying that about himself. And if we ever got in Robert's head, I mean, that's kind of where Robert is, too. Like, he's a man that doesn't belong, you know, doesn't belong where he is. And, you know, neither of them are capable of making adjustments to 
you know, are capable of overcoming that. Um, you know, think of, you know, we think of other characters in the books and I think there are some cases of people that, you know, like look at Danny, for example. Um, you know, she certainly overcomes, she's able to thrive, frankly, in these unfamiliar, unfamiliar circumstances, um, you know, different places. John, you know, is, should Rhaegar and Lyanna's son be at the wall or beyond the wall? Like John actually is, again, someone that, you know, can can find his place in the world in a couple of different, you know, in a couple of different places. Um, Robert and Ned just, you know, they're kind of, um, they're, you know, I mean, they are static characters in a way. And I mean, it makes sense that they don't last beyond this book. Spoiler alert. Mm. But, you know, they're, yeah, they're, they are just kind of biding their time basically until, until their inevitable ends. Poor Ned. Do we have any mail? We do. I was like just envisioning us like all pouring one out for Ned there. <laughs> like it really felt like that. Like just yeah. I mean, great guy, shitty situation. Um. So we have a post from Eruna on on the Jamie Brienne subreddit, and they say, "Is it only me, or is or is Robert? Is it Robert who makes the most sense in this conversation?" In my first read, I was all about how Ned was right and how dishonorable the Lannisters were, but really Bobby's reaction kind of sums it up. Oh, a boy sat in my chair for a while. Well, he was probably tired. And leaving aside the whole Warden of the East nonsense and Jamie inheriting anything, which, yes, um, <laughs> good, good point, uh, Bobby's concern about Danny or while Viserys are not exactly unfounded. There are ships on the free cities, and we know of at least one Dothraki that has already come to Westeros. And Sweet Robin should in no way be trusted with anything more complicated to care for than a cactus, which is more than I would trust Lisa with. Also, is it just me or they become more savage when they are together and alone? The hedgehog sigil. sigil. <laughs> um, I think that was where Robert was, what we were saying, Ned was so prickly about um, his, about John's mom that, you know, his hedgehogs would be his, his sigil. Um, shall we send her a wedding gift? Um, but I'm totally here for the adventures of Bobby and Ned, hedge knights and occasional pyromances. <laughs> um, is it just me or does this chapter imply that the sacking takes place before the Tower of Joy? I'd always thought it was the other way around. Um, I mean, I, I think it does. I think we do know that the sacking takes place after the Tower of Joy because Ned left King's Landing and then went south to Dorne and then presumably came back north through King's Landing with, um, you know, knowing that. With you know, with a bat, with his bastard, wink, wink, and you know, probably Liana's bones, I would guess. Ugh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, we, we talked a lot about a lot about this. That yeah, it sounds like Bobby B was um, more right than than we realized. I thought the passages, you know, like so. I have the illustrated copy of Game of Thrones for this, so the <laughs> illustration for this chapter is like, it's that classic Jamie picture of. Um, him kind of lounging, you know, one leg on the throne, like the very, um, the very arrogant-looking picture of him that I think um, is one of the more iconic versions of Book Jamie, and just this, you know, Ned just being so offended by by Jamie sitting on the throne and Robert just kind of thinking, you know, Robert laughing great, at Jamie's yeah. like, you know, humor about it at that point it was very funny. Um, we have uh, something from Pretty Thief on the subreddit, and they say, It seems set up early on, particularly in this chapter, that child killing might be the highest order of immorality in George's view. 
This is reflected in Ned's vehement, or as vehement as someone like Ned can get, disapproval of Robert's plan for Danny. In the previous chapter, we saw Jamie try to kill Bran, and shortly after this, we see Sander kill Micah. Theon goes on to kill the Miller's sons, etc. What do you what do you all think this might mean for Jamie, for the Brotherhood, Stoneheart with Pod even, or just the story as a whole? Um, they say this is one of my favorite topics to ruminate on, and I'd love to hear your all's thoughts. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just trying to think if there's any like extra, you know any like extra karma or anything for, for some of this, you know, with, um, it was, I mean, with Sander and Micah, it's like the narrative is almost forgotten about that. Although Mm -hmm. I will say, I think with Rhaegar's children and honestly, if I could undo one death in a song of ice and fire, I feel like it's Rainey's for me. Like I just Mm -hmm. like the thought of her clutching her kitten underneath her dad's bed. Like that's just like the worst. Like I just hate that. It's very, um, like, I know he's talked about some of his influences for characters, and he's mentioned, like, things like uh, Tiberius for Stannis, and he's talked about, like, some of the other Roman things. And there are some really horrible deaths that they would do to, or, you know, ways they'd kill little children. Like, there was, and he would have seen, like, I am 100% certain George would have watched I, Claudius, and he would have seen that, which was a miniseries, like, basically taking, um, from um, Augustus Caesar all the way up to, well, the start of Nero. And like, there's a scene where like these guards are, you know, they're, they're somebody's infant daughter and um, they're like, you know, or not infant daughter, little girl. And, you know, the one soldier is like, well, you know, the gods will come after us if, you know, she's a virgin or whatever. And they're like, well, make sure she's not a virgin. I mean, these are the kinds of things that this strikes me. They're so horrible. Well, let me and, see, you know, too, I guess we, you know, we also see Bara being, is it either one of the, one of the well, king's guard that kills her? Yeah, I mean, ugh, such a world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like is, I feel like in the hierarchy of like godless actions in this world, kinsling seems like it's a higher, um, like worsely regarded than killing children, like. You know, I don't think anyone's like super gung ho with killing children, but it seems like kinslaying has been yeah, um, something that's that. called out more particularly. Mm-hmm. But when you Cannibalism. think about it, yeah, yeah, when you think about it, there's a lot of like child killing in these yeah, books. Like, well, it's also it's how they're killed. It's I mean, as horrible it would be to kill a child in any way. I'm not I'm not condoning that. I mean. It's not just a quick thrust of the sword. No, it's let's take the baby and bash the baby against the wall. I mean, you know, there's no quick, painless, you know, as painless as you can make it kind of death. It's like, no, we're savages. We're going to, you know, do these horrible things to kids. Yeah. And Lomi was that he's that seemed pretty painful. Like, oh, oh, yeah. 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 God, it's just. Oh. I mean, I hope it doesn't mean anything for Pod. Jesus. Like, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, we don't need extended pod death. Oh, no. Well, and I mean, I just hold out hope, you know, pod egg, that kind of like I got I got to stay to stay safe for like 50 years. I certainly hope pod can live a long life until he does something incredibly stupid in his later years <laughs> and kills his whole family. You know, it's a happy ending. Um we have a Tumblr Anon who said, just wanted to drop a note saying that I'm loving catching up on all of your episodes. As much as I came for the JB takes, I have to admit to finding it so validating to hear how many opinions I share with you mm-hmm. on all the other storylines. 
and probably the most unpopular of requests ever. I would love if you guys ever work up the tolerance to tackle Tyrion's A Dance with Dragons chapters. (laughs) For you, yes, but so satisfying for us listeners. (laughs) Well, in like 20 years when we're done with this reread, (laughs) maybe we'll be that. I know we can count on Devin to be there for all of this. So that's it for that's it for our messages. Well, thank you. Uh, we love receiving mail, and please please send us some if you would care to. Um, we want to remind everyone that we are recording episodes ahead of time, so it's possible your questions have been received. You, you know, it just is going to take a little bit. Um, you can send your questions and comments to close the door and at gmail.com, or you can send us questions on Tumblr at close the door and come here on tumblr.com. We are also on Twitter at door podcast, and you can also ask questions on the Jamie and Brienne subreddit. Uh, we would particularly like to thank our Patreons who help us out with our hosting fees. Um, you can find us there at patreon.com slash close the door. Um, uh, please review us whenever you're listening to the podcast, uh, or wherever, not whenever. <laughs> Don't do it once. Uh, I'm closing the door. Get out.